So now joining me on the Women's Rugby Pod is World Rugby General Manager, Katie Sellier. Thanks, Katie, for joining us, which is an early morning for you down in New Zealand. How are you? Yeah, it is. I'm good. It's a beautiful day down here. Um, it was um, quite fascinating watching the snow up north. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's been freezing the last few days, so hopefully we're going to get rid of that storm and see some sunshine. Yeah. So what 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 takes you back to your roots, back home to New Zealand then at the moment? Well, it was a really exciting week last week. We um, launched the new brand and dates associated with World Rugby World Cup 2021. So had a big function with um, stakeholders from government and local government, World Rugby and New Zealand Rugby uh, at Eden Park, where we launched um, what's going to happen in 2021. I mean, there's been a pretty good response coming out from the launch. Um, new logo, which obviously has, um, you know, when you look at the logo itself, it clearly has some deep roots from New Zealand itself, being the rugby nation it is. Can you talk us a little bit behind the new logo and around maybe the new wording? Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of thought and consideration went into quite a huge consultation process with that logo. Very much um, working with the Maori cultural advisors at New Zealand Rugby as well. Um, the logo uses the World Rugby Shield, which we do for all our pinnacle events, and it brings in um, uh, some cultural significance associated with the land and the waves in New Zealand. So um, we've also really concentrated on linking with some of our other um, campaigns to lift the profile of women in rugby. So if you, if you look at some of the imaging behind it, you know, strong woman presence, but also the unstoppable thing comes through. Um, as to the name change, you know, that was, that was a big decision that World Rugby made uh, a good six months ago in terms of wanting to um, remove uh, perceived biases associated with, with our pinnacle events um, that they are on an equal platform. You know, previously we we called um, the Women's Rugby World Cup the Women's Rugby World Cup, and we had a Men's World Cup, and we dropped the gender classification for our pinnacle events. And that really is all about lifting the profile of women in rugby, saying that we're looking at both of these events as, as key pinnacle um, events. One's not the most important one, and one's the second most important one. They're both very important to world rugby. Yeah, I think, you know, I, obviously I've been involved with some of those decisions and discussions with you and, and World Rugby. It's these kind of things that people don't pick up on, isn't it? And it's it's sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. What do you reckon this is going to have? Do you think this is going to have an impact? I do think it's going to ha have an impact. I mean, you know, we have done some things that have been reasonably disruptive in the last two to three years as we've rolled out a new global strategy. Um, but this, this was really an important thing to do. Um, in terms of making sure that that you know, we are a sport for all, we're really trying to lift the profile of the women's game, um, and it, it certainly is not in any way about um, undermining what's happened in the past, but it is about sort of saying, you know, we're very serious about what we're trying to do in terms of um, uh, our support for both pinnacle events. And I always, when people talk to me about it, I say, look, I'm really fortunate. I work for a sport that's got um, a pinnacle event every year. We've got three World Cups, one played by men, one played by women, one played by both in the sevens, and then we have an Olympic. So we're really in a very fortunate level. But we want to make sure that we're pitching and branding and positioning all those events at a, at a similar kind of level. And so this World Cup is is claimed to going to be the biggest and the best down in New yep. Zealand. Um can you give us a little insight to 
why that might be um, and what plans maybe World Rugby or New Zealand as a country and a hosting nation um, has in place. Yep. I mean, every time you host a World Cup, it's an opportunity to take a next step of, um, you know, next step up. And Ireland did a fantastic job. I'd only been in the role for about six months at the time of the World Cup, so it was a really good exposure for me about what you could do with an event. And at that stage, when you looked at the results that came out from social media, from engagement, from fans' attendance, it was a huge, you know, it's always a huge step up. So New Zealand, it has, it, it has got some challenges in terms of being on the other side of the world, um, from some of our major markets in terms of, of um, rugby and rugby audiences. So there'll be a huge emphasis on making sure that the as-live performances are really stimulating in terms of how we package them and how we make sure that um, the games that are played down here are really accessible around the world. And I think that's one of the big things that we're looking at, um, really stepping up to make sure that the World Cup that takes place in New Zealand um, is able to be seen by more more countries and more people, and so greater exposure by maximising the the the, the, um, the channels that we have to actually get that out to people. I mean, another another big thing about um, the World Cup being in New Zealand is that it is the first time it's in the Southern Hemisphere, so there's a big sing and a dance about about that. New Zealand is a country that's hosted World Cups before very successfully. Um, the black ferns down here are certainly. Um, on a you know a raised platform, I think I think they're up for the Halberg Awards again this year, which is the sport team of the year. Um, so there's a huge interest in the growth of, of women's rugby down here, um, and with a, a prime minister uh, Jacinda Ardern who is absolutely passionate about um, women's empowerment, leadership, and sport, and she's a big rugby fan. Um, the government is very much behind what's actually happening in terms of women's sport down here. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, I've managed to play down in New Zealand a few times and everywhere you go, it is all about rugby. So it's definitely going to be a country that gets behind it. I mean, the other side of the exciting thing about the World Cup um, next year is the introduction of quarterfinals. Um, can you give us a little bit of understanding to, to why why you've decided to, well, not necessarily you, but why the committees have decided to bring in the quarterfinals and, and what was kind of the process behind those decisions? Yeah, there was a, I mean, it's, it's actually not just the quarterfinals. There was quite a few changes that were made to the format of the, the tournament down here. And I, I'm, I guess the background to that is that every time you've had a, a significant pinnacle event, you go through a, a review where you ask the people who participate. So surveys went out to all the participating unions to find out how can this event be improved. Um, and so there was, a, there was a few changes that were made besides the quarterfinals in terms of the tournament now has gone from being a 23-day exercise to a 35-day exercise, thinking about player welfare and safety, introduced more days in between games, you know, expanded the number of, um, of players in the squads. And that was all absolutely related to the feedback that we got uh, from, from players and from management associated with teams around the world. Introducing the quarterfinals did made sense. I mean, there had been concerns um, in previous previous last two World Cups that um, that some of the top teams were eliminated too quickly, uh, and so there was a need to actually have a look at uh, how, what actually happened at the back end of the tournament to make sure that you have absolutely got the best teams um, competing in the finals. Absolutely, I think you're spot on there. But you know, you see some teams exiting, and we know what things are like in kind of high-pressured games and tournaments where 
things change when it comes to knockout stages so having that opportunity just kind of gives that extra um flavor to the tournament aside from the rugby then katie considering you are um a kiwi and this is your hometown you know why should why should fans travel from the UK to Europe um, to travel all that way? It's quite a long place to go to 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 come to this World Cup. What's going to make? What does New Zealand have to offer other than just the rugby side? Well, I mean, there's a lot of rugby down here, so but, <laughs> <laughs> can't that, get away from that. Know, like, you know, it's been really exciting now that now that it's definitely game on. I mean, obviously, New Zealand was awarded the tournament a, a while ago, but you wanted to get the 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 last rugby World Cup from Japan. Um, sort of done and, and dusted in an amazing way, so you could actually start getting on and pushing, pushing why people should come. I mean, I'm already getting emails. I, I mean, two weeks ago from from the states where people have got 90 women who want to come down and they want to come to watch the the, the World Cup, but they also want to sort of get involved in playing rugby while they're down here. So there's the kind of ancillary ancillary sort of opportunities that there are but it's a beautiful country for people who haven't been down to new zealand before it is it is magical um it is a a bit of paradise it's kind of isolated um yet it has a a huge impact um the scenery is fantastic the people will be so into hosting and everyone in this country will know that it's going on so you become part of an incredible festival of sporting activity um, in a, a place which has got great wine, great food, and, and absolutely <laughs> stunning scenery. Well, there you go. You've sold it to me. So, but if we can um, maybe just rewind, Katie, to you coming first into post. You mentioned you'd been in six months. Just so, what twenty seventeen would have been when you came yep. in. Yeah. Um, I mean, where's your background? Is it in rugby? No, I, 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 you know, I used to be married to a halfback, um, so I certainly was exposed to rugby as soon as I, my, my accent's kind of a bit funny, people always wonder where I come from when I say I'm from New Zealand, but I moved when I was 16 from Canada down to live in, in New Zealand, and quite quickly got um, uh, a good taste of, of how important rugby was to the, to the culture of the country, but I decided to have a career in sport at a, at a young age, I mean, my background was in aquatics, I was a competitive swimmer, then became a synchronized swimmer, and then became a water polo player. And I always talk about water polo being my, my rugby in the water. Um, but, yeah, so so when I took the job um, to come and move to Dublin, I guess my background was in sports management. I'd worked in, in sport in New Zealand for about 25 years. And my legacy was establishing um, the New Zealand high-performance system when at a stage where we had nothing in place to actually develop our elite teams for Olympics and Commonwealth Games. But I looked after the overarching investment programs that were in place to actually drive the sporting nation here. Um, so a good feel for you know leading sports administration, um, was involved in, in a few international associations uh, linked to elite sport. Um, but when this opportunity came up, uh, you, you couldn't but grab it. You know, Steve Chu, ex-chief executive of New Zealand Rugby, was a close personal friend of mine. And um, I'm not sure if he was the one who brought the job to my attention, but we, we I had just won a, an award, a Lifetime Achievement Award, for my contributions to the New Zealand sports sector. And I thought to myself, this, is, this would be an absolutely fascinating, fantastic opportunity to really um, work with a sport that was certainly going the right way in terms of numbers, um, and profile and see what we could do to um, uh, get that growth really moving at momentum um, and becoming one of the world's leading sports for women. Okay, Katie, so you jump into this job, um, yep. plenty to do. 
what, what what was on your top of your agenda if there was like two or three things that you go right I've got to go in I've got to start here before I think about anything else can you remember back to then I guess yeah. <laughs> I mean the first the first year was was fascinating I did a lot of listening 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 and listening I I, I I met with players I met with coaches I met with unions and regions to actually understand what they thought the challenges were and you know different from when you're working in a country you've got so many different um, things that you have to take into consideration. You know, we're really lucky we are a, a global international federation that has a lot of formats for the game um, and recognizing that not every format was right for every country given what they were actually trying to face. So so I, I think that, that, though, that one of the first things that became very clear to me was that we had spent a lot of time or World Rugby had spent uh, quite a considerable time working in the development space, sort of working with some of the unions to actually get their participation programs going. But the big thing to get sustainable change from from my perspective was that we needed to focus on leadership and the decision-making. When I first started at World Rugby, um, we were governed by a council of 30 men, um, and we had a participation rate of 27%. Uh, participation woman globally. I mean, less in registered numbers, but participation globally. And so that right away became a standout thing. Was we, we needed to, we, if we really were going to make sustainable change, we needed to work with the governance and the senior leadership globally to actually get them to drive that change because it can't just happen from inside inside world rugby. So Bill Beaumont, Sir Bill Beaumont, um, was, was a huge um, supporter and acknowledging that we needed to do something. Um, and at the end of my first year, you know, he championed a change at World Rugby Council level to introduce 17 women onto the World Rugby Council. So we went from zero to 35% um, at a governance level and then have been able to um, – uh, we now have two committees at World Rugby that are 50% men and 50% women. So a dramatic change from where we were. Huge impact um, right away. Huge impact, just huge. And, and it allowed us to sit down and, and – um, um, you know, eyeball maybe isn't the right word, but look at our unions and say, where are you at in terms of your commitment to diversity? And which is great, good international practice in terms of um, having organizations that represent their stakeholders and that are um, certainly making sure that when decisions are, are coming um, up to senior levels, that, you, that, that they're being considered by a diverse board. So the next phase there was was that we needed to actually build a pipeline of, of leaders. So we changed the governance structure. We introduced um, a couple of initiatives. Um, one was a uh, we run a an executive leadership scholarship program globally, where each year we appoint twelve women from around the world who are either on boards or who are in senior leadership positions, or who have have a fast tracking. You know, they, they will be there within two years, and they um, have been appointed and given ten thousand pound scholarships to to make sure that they are the best they can possibly be. So we, it was about building the pipeline, making sure that you've got really insightful um, women in positions of influence, um, and then also um, the third part of that pillar was a resource we we developed called um, Balancing the Board, which we made available to unions and regions to actually help them work through what needed to happen in terms of changing the leadership structure um, and making sure that there's more women involved. And we've seen some amazing changes out in out in um, regions and union lands. I mean, I was fortunate. I spent quite a bit of time down at the Rugby World Cup in Japan doing presentations to various groups um, about what we're trying to achieve in women's rugby. 
And Japan, being an example, had went from one woman on their executive to five on their executive in the, in the two year period from when we cha- we made our change. So it's kind of was it's it's kind of happening. But that was you know singularly, if you want to get sustained change, you need to make sure that you you have got great practice when it comes to governance and leadership, and that means diversity. Um, so that was a, a, a really key thing. Um, I mean, there's so much we talk about. But <laughs> no. Another key area. Has been, um, we'll have to do a whole separate done. podcast with you. Yes, <laughs> the another, of work another one on. is really is this is this whole thing about lifting the profile of women in rugby. Yeah. We launched this year a we we came up with a, a new brand, Women in Rugby, but um, a, a global marketing campaign. Try and stop us. Start rugby. Become unstoppable. Uh, that campaign has been incredibly successful. It's actually up for a couple of awards um, in industry global industry awards at the moment um but what that did was that it kind of brought to life um some amazing women sort of 15 women and girls from around the world who um who are absolutely passionate about rugby but the, how the values of rugby have helped them actually um overcome some of the the perceptions and challenges that actually exist for women who want to play rugby so that campaign which was the first of a three-year campaign, which we'll see some really exciting more stuff about this year, has also really helped people start talking about um, women's rugby. And and what that's done is it's it's um, you know it's lifted uh, the conversation into a new level. Um, we had some great influencers who supported that campaign, like Billie Jean King, um, you know, the chief executive of UN Woman, um, presidents from around the world. All uh, and rugby players, of course, you know, really pushing how important it is to actually lift the profile of women in rugby. So, profile and leadership really, really important. Um, I'm now working on the commercial strategy, which is going to be a bit more challenging, but it is also going to make a significant impact on wh- what we're able to do over and the next two to three years. And it's in the pipeline. I mean, you talked there about all the impacts that you've had in terms of governance, leadership, and raising that profile. And our athletes are certainly raising that profile on the pitch in terms of the, mm-hmm. the product that's producing. We're seeing more coverage than ever. Um, yeah. But then when you kind of compare that to football, cricket, netball, I mean, they're also taking huge strides. You know, they've got you know, lots more coverage. They've got sponsorship involved, attracting new audiences. Where are we? Uh, if you could sum up in a, in, in a few words yeah. where we are, are we behind, are we ahead, are we in line? You know, where are we compared to, to a few of the other sports that um, are also taking huge strides? Yeah, I haven't worked very closely with with netball, but football and cricket we work very closely with. I mean, the the women who have the same role as me, Soraya Berryman and Holly Galvin from cricket, and Soraya from football, you know, they're close friends. We 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 connect every couple of months to actually compare and contrast what's working, what's not working. You know, football's That's a so lot good of money. that you do that. Yeah, it's so very, good. I mean, you know, we that. spoke, we all spoke together, you know, uh, on an international panel at the international women's group conference in Botswana in front of you know thousands of people so we spend a lot of time uh, actually comparing you know helping each other on strategies understanding um you know so I, I was I was very fortunate to be a guest of, of Soraya at the at the FIFA Women's World Cup at both the front end and the back end and the and the the state the um the forum that they ran which helps us with some of the stuff we want to do in 2021 so where are we at? I mean, in some areas, you know, we're ahead. In some areas, you were behind, and that makes sense. I think some of the stuff that we're doing in terms of um, challenging the leadership and the uh, the governance is is quite significantly ahead of, of football and cricket. Um, but they they do invest a lot of money. 
um, in they, and they have more money to invest, and that helps because of some of their TV rights and the size they are the game. But we we constantly sort of learning from each other. I mean, one of the things that we we are doing that they haven't done yet, and and maybe they maybe they haven't needed to, but we did make the decision um, to unbundle our sponsorship rights at a global level for women's rugby. Um, they haven't they haven't done that as of, of yet. Um, and we're doing that quite deliberately because we think it's time that the women's product can um, create some commercial partners of its own, and that will add value in terms of what will happen, the flow-on impact for what regions and unions might think about in terms of their commercial strategies. So that's quite exciting. Um, that has happened at a regional and a local level in football, but not at a global level yet. Um, but, yeah, so overall, good learnings, Um you know, we, we share we share information on a regular basis and um, whatever I can and we beg, borrow and, and work through um, how we can leverage and work on things together. Thank you, Katie. I mean, that's such an insightful discussion. And I think we could literally do a whole episode um, just on chewing the fat on women's rugby and, and the legs. It's still got to go. But as well as all the progress that has been made um, and certainly from my point of view, having worked with you and been involved with you you've been a revelation to women's rugby so i I thank you on behalf of all of us um but just to finish off um i would like to ask you who your top three inspiring women are in rugby or in women's sport okay well i I have to put carol isherwood up there as as one of the top ones I, you know, I, and I've and I've been very fortunate. I I didn't know Carol before coming to England, and I was, you know, when I was sorry to Ireland and England, Ireland, and uh, I had a couple of people down in New Zealand said, if you want to meet anyone who's going to help you um, get to where you want to go, to you need to actually connect with Carol, and she's been she's been a great colleague and a great friend ever since, and and really fortunate to have her working um, with me on how we can change the look and feel of women's coaches in rugby so we wanted to have more diversity in our coaching teams so she's um she's there definitely up there um women's sport um gosh there's so there. <laughs> there's just so many um many people but Billie Jean King I mean I was really privileged to oh, and so grateful for her endorsing our try and stop us campaign she also endorsed I noticed when we came out with our name change to um to have gender neutral naming of our tournaments, she was one of the first people to tweet about that and and say other sports should actually follow where world rugby is um, going. Um, so that's absolutely fantastic. And then another person who I hate there's so many, but another person who seems to me to be doing an amazing, amazing amount of work for women in rugby is Atlanta. Um, uh, I'm going to say Saint John. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's going to love that. See, well, I have to tell you, you know, the, the Harlequins have invited me to several functions, um, but it's not even so much the functions, which have been absolutely fantastic in seeing how they, they're trying to really grow the game. But but as a club and as a leader in trying to really make sure that she's making a difference, um, she's really up there. So we need lots more of her around the world. Um, oh, she's going to be so grassroots, made up. Grassroots level. Um, well, you know, you know, um, really sort of singing out for um, what needs to happen for women's rugby. Oh. So there you go. Three different types of yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And honestly, you're going to have made Atlanta's day for sure. She does put in so much work. So 
very well um, deserved shout out to her but look Katie thank you so much for coming on the WRP um, for us this week and um, look we will stay in touch because we will definitely want to um, dive more into all the good things that you're doing within women's rugby Um, and like I said we can't thank you enough for everything that you're doing and pushing the boundaries thank you thank you very much take care okay bye bye